Heavenly Father, thank you for this um, thank you for this glorious day, this uh, gorgeous day, this gorgeous weekend. Thank you as well, Lord, for the gift of, of summer, which we enjoy, uh, and perhaps uh, slowing down just slightly in, in, the, in the pace of our life. Thank you that you've drawn us together this morning as a community of faith, that you've not left us as orphans, but that you've drawn us to you and to one another. Be in the midst of us, I pray, by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, that uh, today, as always, uh, not my words or our words would go forth, Lord, but your living word, and that it would not return to you empty, but it would accomplish that which you purpose. And this ask now in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, um, session two of um, the gospel and fiction and film, and uh, we looked at a little we looked at a little film last week, so. I'm sorry if you weren't here last week. We got, we got TV um, last week. So it was funny. In one of my other classes, I did uh, some um, George and Sybil Newton with their, with their youngest, um, who is um, just an absolute hoot. But on, on that particular day, he just wouldn't go to Sunday school. He just wanted to be with mom and dad. Wanted to be, and, you know, like, like most um, good parents, um, and I know I've been there, uh, they, they caved. Um, I can't tell you how many times. Okay, fine. You know, you've worn me down. Just come on to class. But you're not going to like it. Um, it's going to be boring, and you're not going to like it, and it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be like your class. Well, we, we, look, we watch video clips all morning, so he's probably just like, yeah, y'all are lying. Y'all, go to, y'all watch TV while I'm in class, and I'm sitting at a desk, and you know what? I knew. Um, so anyway, hopefully Lucas has gone back. I don't know. Um, well, today, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of low-tech, and we're going to look at the gospel uh, in fiction, and um, one of the things that I want to share with you is uh, is is this, and it's something which y'all are probably um, familiar with and, and in tune with, and, and I guess one of the things that I want to encourage you to do, along with me, not not only this this morning, but but always, and that is is that um, seeing the world um, through the lens of the gospel, um, seeing the world through the lens of the gospel. One of the things, one of the great gifts that's given to you and to me. Um, is this, is that um, while we're in the world just like everybody else, in that sense, our, um, our experiences don't differ from other people's. We, we experience joys and, and blessings. We experience trials and sufferings. We have, you know, times when, gosh, things are just um, going fabulously, times when it seems like nothing um, can go right for us. And so, in, in that sense, we're, we're no different from anyone else. We experience all the all the experiences of the human condition, times of tremendous clarity, times when everything is, is cloudy and foggy and, uh, and we're, you know, uh, as we say, we're just showing up. Um, however, um, one of the things that we have is the message um, of the gospel, the lens of the gospel, which gives us a perspective in, in the midst of all of that and, and which gives us a hope and a strength and a security that all of those situations can't take away from us, and also, quite frankly, all the, all the ups and downs of this life. It gives us, uh, if you will, it gives us a level. Um, it gives us a constant. It gives us a, a strength um, that enables us to, to walk through those. Um, with There's a great story. Um, a, a fella in, in South Carolina, a little town sort of in central South Carolina, and a, and a tornado came through, and obviously that's something which we're um, very familiar with 
if we weren't before, we're certainly very familiar with it now and, and how suddenly um, things can turn and also the, the tremendous destruction that it can bring. But anyway, I came through this town. There was this quaint little Episcopal church and a little um, white wooden uh, Episcopal church, you know, red doors, just sort of the quintessential quaint um, little church. Well, the, the tornado hit that um, and it was just demolished. And, and you, as you might imagine, I mean, thank goodness... Episcopalians, we don't worship buildings. Um, you know, we're not into architecture, right? So, I mean, you know, so, I mean, thank goodness they're just, oh, it's just a building. Um, well, as you, as you might imagine, um, uh, some of the folks were, were devastated. I remember, true story, a little, a little aside here. Um, one of the places I served was the cathedral in Charleston. And at one point, um, before Hurricane Hugo, we had this um, horrible... Um, stained glass window behind the altar and these terrible um, sort of tacky statues that were there. And, and after Hurricane Hugh came there, literally, the senior warden lived across the street and he was one of those guys, he just loved every nail, um, every, everything there. Well, the dean was over there, he was literally trying to throw the, he was trying to break these statues because <laughs> they somehow survived and he was trying to, you know, Bob Ballard, it was Nelson Koscheski and Bob Ballard and Bob was trying to get them back and they Nelson was trying to kill him and get rid of him, so you know, start start fresh. Well, anyway, long story long story here, a little aside there, but um, but anyway, the you know it, it came through and the people you know came out and you know as you might imagine they came and they gathered uh, at the side and they were going around and they were picking up uh, they were they were picking up the pieces and looking for this and looking that and, and this one guy was was kind of chuckling um, in the midst of it and. Um, the matriarch saw him chuckling, and as you might imagine, she was not pleased um, with, with that response to so horrific an event. And so she, in no uncertain terms, let him know of her displeasure and asked him, you know, why, why are you laughing? What is so funny about this? And he said, I can't wait to see what God's going to make of this, um, was, was, his, was his, thankfully it was a faithful response. But that was his response. But again, for you and for me, we, we have the lens of the gospel with which we can look at our lives. And so... And as Andrew said well uh, in the sermon today, you know, we, we, have, uh, we have a worth and a merit that doesn't come from what we accumulate. Uh, we, have a, we have a hope and a security that's not based um, on ourselves, um, but, but, on, but on God. And that's, that's phenomenally freeing, um, that, that gift of the gospel given to you and to me. In John's gospel, um, in 14, 15, 16, um, Actually, the, the entirety of John's gospel is pretty good. Um, but 14, 15, 16, there's this uh, one of the great, um, as Jesus is preparing to go away, and he's, he's preparing them because the time is coming when he's going away. Among the great things that he says, of course, one is the promise gift he, that he goes to prepare a place for us. Um, and, he, and he promises. But here's one of the ones I love, and talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that he will leave with us, the, the spirit of truth, the comforter, the counselor, to lead us and guide us. The actual word is paraclete, which um, interestingly has some legal connotations as well. And, and, and here's, why that's, that, here's why that's neat. Basically what it's saying is, you know, I'm going to be your, I'm going to be your advocate. Um, when, when, when judgments and when presentations come against you, um, you can't stand up on your own, but I'll actually be your advocate on, on your behalf. I will represent you is, is in essence, not only I'll represent you, but I will... I will defend you. Uh, you know, just when you stop to think about that, that's that's an amazing gift. But anyway, one of the great things that Jesus says is, um, "I will not leave you as orphans." Um, so the the gospel lets us know we're we're not left as orphans. Uh, but I will send you another counselor, the Holy Spirit, 
uh, the comfort of the counsel of the spirit of the truth to lead into God. So that lens of the gospel um, we, we have, which helps us um, not only see the world and approach our lives with hope, but also one of the things that the gospel tells us is this, is that um, we are more um, flawed uh, and broken um, and lost um, than we would dare uh, admit. Um, it, you know, first and foremost, it, it convicts us. It tells us, you know, no, you, you don't measure up. Um, you can't measure up. Um, and one of the things I was, uh, perhaps you all um, did this when, when, when you were younger, not that we ever fully get away, you know, trying to, trying to find oneself. Um, and really, quite frankly, that finding oneself is not an entirely good thing because when you find yourself, you think, oh, that's a letdown. Um, you know, or you're kind of like, I'm really not, I'm not a fraction of the person I thought I was. What a, what a massive, um, what a massive disappointment. But one of the things the gospel tells us is, is yes, you know what, we're, we're, more, we're more lost, we're more flawed, we're more um, broken, we're more in need than, than, we, would, than we would like to admit. Um, and that we would like to acknowledge. And, and we're not sufficient unto ourselves to turn ourselves around and, and to get ourselves on the right track. But, of course, it doesn't end there. The message of the gospel is a God who, in his love and his grace and his mercy, um, yes, um, seeks us uh, in, the, in the gift of his son, um, Jesus, reconciles us to himself by what he accomplishes, not by what you and I accomplish, but by what um, he accomplishes. He extends to us that grace, he extends to us that opportunity to be his sons um, and, and his daughters. But that message of the gospel, yes, that we're more broken than we would dare admit, but also that we are more loved and cherished and welcomed than we ever dreamed possible. Um, that, that message of, of the gospel, that we're people that are rebellious and yet God is gracious in the way he seeks us. Um, this morning, I want to look at, and I mentioned this uh, uh, last week, um, so we're going to look at the gospel in Peace Like a River. Has anyone ever read Peace Like a River? Okay, um, good, excellent. So y'all won't know where I'm wrong, um, uh, at least today, maybe. But no, it's a, it's, a, it's a fabulous book. Leif Inger wrote this one, wrote a second as well. Um, so, so Brave, Young, and Handsome uh, is the name. And actually, I mentioned this last week, which is worth mentioning again, very funny. Um, this, this book, Peace Like a River, it was his first book, and it was a national bestseller. Um, so, in some ways, what a you know what an amazing thing to start off as a national bestseller. But at the same time, talk about a burden. Um, it's kind of like you know you're like the kid in the U.S. Open, the amateur you know that's in contention. You know he's in the lead for a while. Um, I mean, just crazy. I mean, you know, imagine if you. I mean, obviously, how incredible to win it. But imagine if you won it. What what a burden. You know, where where do you go from here? You know, as a 17 year old, you won the U.S. Open. Okay, hope it's yeah. Your career is going to be a disappointment from here on out. You know, how can you, how can you top that? Well, anyway, he wrote this national bestseller, but his second book, it starts off, this guy was a postal worker, um, and he wrote this great novel that took off and was a huge success, and so he decided to quit being a postal worker, and he becomes an author. And, uh, well, anyway, he dries up. He's, he's got nothing. Every day he goes to the office and tells his wife, you know, yeah, I'm just working on that next novel, and he's, and he's got... And he's got nothing. Um, so after that first big success, so he goes on this Wild West adventure. But peace like a river. Anyone, um, here's your biblical um, quiz this morning. Anyone remember or, or can think about where he gets the title from, peace like a river? Pardon me? It is well, Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that great hymn, um, 
In fact, I, I, I printed it out for us. The story behind him actually is the gentleman that wrote it um, had lost um, his daughters in this. Uh, well, he had, he, had all, he had earlier lost his son and lost his daughters in this um, tragic boating um, accident. And so this song was written actually after um, that that tremendous. Yeah, just a little something light for us to start off with. I mean, you know, just that that you know. I mean, hard to imagine something more 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 heart heartbreaking for for an individual. And yet, um, after that experience, he wrote this uh, hymn: "When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me, O Lord, it is well, it is well with my soul." Uh, and you're probably, uh, but it's a it's. And let me just read it to you. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live, if Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, um, it is well with my soul. So he writes about he writes about the hope he writes about the assurance which we have which has been accomplished through Jesus through the cross and through the resurrection so yes um, this is the first of your gold stars um, uh, so um, wonderful but there's also uh, a biblical text as well and in the I was going to say the 66th chapter of Isaiah and that's right but it's, it's the final chapter um, of, of Isaiah and it's, it's talking about how God uh, how God will restore His people, um, despite their exile, despite um, their sufferings, despite their trials, and, and quite frankly, despite their own sins and, and rebellions and, and shortcomings as well. Um, that that He will seek them, that He will um, that He will bring them back. And we hear toward the again toward the very end of um, Isaiah's prophecy. For thus says the Lord: Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation uh, against his enemies. It's interesting, um, you know, wonderful words of comfort, wonderful words of assurance, but actually, interestingly, at the beginning of that chapter, somewhat an aside, but also, but also pertinent, one of the things that actually God is saying to them is, you know what? Um, I, I'm an almighty God and I'm not contained in the temple. Um, you can't contain me in religious observances. You can't contain me um, in, in buildings. And the nations that oppose me um, can't contain me. Nothing um, contains me because I'm the Lord God Almighty. I can work regardless of the circumstance. I can re work regardless uh, of what happens and, I, and my desire is to come um, to my people. So, a um, little word uh, there of, 
sort of uh, setting. And now we'll take a look a little bit here at, at Peace Like a River. And, and it is, um, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting work of fiction, but, but it's one which is really soaked, uh, soaked in the gospel. And let me give you sort of the basic, um, let me give you some of the basic characters and some of the basic um, premise here. Um, the father, um, uh, the, the father's name is Jeremiah Land. Um, uh, so Jeremiah um, is the father, and, and the son is 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 told uh, the son. The, the story is told from the point of view of, the, of one of the sons, um, Reuben Land. Um, so Reuben, uh, it, it's told uh, Reuben, his sister Swede, um, and uh, their brother uh, and their brother Davy, and it's sort of set sort of 1960s um, Minnesota. Uh, and um, also um, the Badlands of North Dakota. So that's 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 the setting. Um, that's the setting for the book here. And it, it begins. And one of the things that that happens throughout um, are are miracles. And, it, and it's interesting. Um, one of the things here that that is shared, but also one of the things. And just a brief word. I'll tell you a story. Um, one of the things we pick up. And y'all have probably heard this before. One of the things we pick up in the Gospels um, is, you know, obviously we see the miracles of Jesus. But one of the things that's very clear through the Gospels is um, Jesus' desire um, that the people would have knowledge. Uh, and and, and why, do, why does he say that? What's, what's the importance of that? Well, part of the importance of that is, is this. Human nature is such. Let me ask y'all, um, can any of y'all explain things away? Any of y'all ever rationalize? Um, anyway, um, anyone want to share? Um, you know, so I, you know, the, the human nature is such that we can, God can speak to us uh, and do amazing things um, right before us, uh, and human nature is such that we can we can try to we can try to explain it away because, um, quite frankly, we we want we want the presence of God, uh, but we want the presence of God in limited doses because when God really shows up, it's unnerving. Um, because God, when God really shows up, it's kind of like, wow, I'm really, really small um, by comparison. I'm really, really, uh, it, it just, you know, we, we set up these delusions that we're in control um, and that, you know, we just need a little bit of God. But for the most part, I got it. Uh, but I just need just a little bit of God and I'll be, uh, and I'll be good. And um, you know what? Next month, I'm going to have my act together or, or next week. Or you know what? Starting Monday... Um, I, I was telling myself that, you know, what? Oh God, it's starting. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to exercise and eat better. I'm going to, and oh, I know I'm lying, uh, but I keep telling myself, you know what? It's going to, it's going to change uh, on, it's going to change on Monday. But when, when God shows up, um, it's, uh, it's unnerving. But also one of the things that we see in the Gospels um, is that, um, that, that in many ways, um, well, faith is a miracle, but also we definitely see that faith is a gift because lots of people see Jesus as miracles. Uh, and we see that some come to faith and some, and some explain them away. Um, and so, uh, and also as I say, so that's why he expresses the importance of knowledge because, you know, we can have an experience and, and experiences are important, but experiences in and of themselves won't sustain us. Um, experiences are kind of like emotions, um, which, you know, they, they, they go up and down. Uh, you know, like love, for instance. Um, you know, if, if love were just an emotion... Um, how many of y'all in your marriage just always feel emotionally awesome um, and, and really and really and really uh, and really close? Um, Ed Salmon tells a great story. They had moved out to um, St. Louis, and 
they moved into a new house, and they, he and his wife, Louise's bedroom was on the top floor, and they're, they're lying there in bed one night, and she says, I think I hear something. He's like, you don't hear anything. I, I, I think I hear something. He's like, well, already I knew I'd lost that argument, so I'm going to have to get up and, and check on it. He said he got up um, to check, and as he was walking down the stairs, he tripped on one of the kids' toys, you know, middle, middle of the night, half asleep, trips on the kids. Well, it was one of those, kind of like in Charleston, some of the single houses was sort of similar. It was sort of thin and, and multi-storied. Well, he just starts tumbling down the stairs, and, and he keeps on going. And he said, and he said in response to that, he said, he said, if love were simply an emotion, he said, I would have left that sorry tribe right then um, and, and never... Uh, and, nev- and never looked back. So love so much more than, a, than an emotion. Um, faith and, and belief so much more than just seeing, um, seeing miracles. It's, it's you know, as a result of those coming to a faith and a knowledge of what the character of God is like in relationship with you and with me. So with Peace Like a River, it begins, uh, it begins with the miracle when I was born to Helen and Jeremiah Land in 1951. My lungs refused to kick in. One of the things... It's really interesting throughout um, this book is uh, um, the difference between Davy, who is the older brother, and, and Reuben, who is the who is the younger brother. And um, Davy is um, Davy is entirely competent. Uh, he's one of those you know you know some individuals they're just they're 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 strong uh, and they're and they're and they're certain. Um, and they're and they're competent and and they you know they want to take things head on they want to take life head on they want to take things head on that's just that's 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 the way that they operate and one of the things that we see throughout um, the story is that um, Davy um, throughout all the trials and tribulations that the family faces along the way they the the family inevitably and repeatedly um, turns to God um, during those well both for when when they experience blessings but also when they experience trials they. They turn to God. Um, they they lean upon God. They they recognize God as their as their source uh, of strength. And you know, one of the great things about the characters too, they're 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 not perfect. They're like you and me. Um, they're 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 flawed and conflicted and uh, all all the above. But but interestingly, but but Davy is Davy's the one that the the whole idea of of, of trusting uh, in God's power just. It, it rubs him the wrong way. Um, it, it rubs him the wrong way um, throughout. A, a God that we should be um, dependent upon. He's, again, he's one of those guys. Uh, he, un, unfortunately, in some ways, um, he's very competent, uh, which can be a blessing, but also, in some ways, can can be a bane as well. And Reuben comes out severely um, asthmatic, and and one of the blessings of this for him is he recognizes he's weak. Um, one of the things, again, in human nature, one of the things we tend to fight um, is, you know, is, is, is weakness. Even though we know that God, yes, has certainly worked in a right-handed way, but one of the things uh, that we see uh, throughout the Scriptures, but particularly in the Gospels, is the left-handed way that God works. The way that God works through weakness. Um, you know, Jesus, the, the way that he brought about, uh, the way that he ransomed us, the way that he redeemed us, uh, it, you know, it wasn't Rambo. Um, it, it wasn't Rambo the way he went about it. He, he accomplished it um, through weakness. He accomplished it in a very left-handed um, way rather than in a right-handed way, uh, that, that challenge of the gospel. So one of the blessings that, um, that Reuben has from the very beginning is the recognition of his need because of, um, because of the asthma. So when I was born to Helen and Jeremiah Land in 1951, my lungs refused to kick in. 
My father wasn't in the delivery room um, or, or even in the building. The halls of Wilson Hospital were close and short, and Dad had gone out to pace in the damp September wind. He was praying, rounding the block for the fifth time when the air quickened. He opened his eyes and discovered he was running, sprinting across the grass toward the door. And this is um, Reuben asking um, his dad to tell him again the story uh, of, of his birth. Um, How'd you know? I adored this story. Made him tell it all the time. God told me you were in trouble. Out loud? Did you hear him? Nope, not out loud. But he made me run, Reuben. I guess I figured it out on the way. I had, in fact, been delivered some minutes before. My mother was dazed, propped against soggy pillows, unable to comprehend what Dr. Animus Noakes was telling her. He still isn't breathing, Mrs. Lamb. Give him to me. To this day, I'm glad Dr. Noakes did not hand me over on demand. Tired as my mother was, who knows when she would have noticed. Instead, he laid me down and rubbed me hard with a towel. He pounded my back. He rolled me over and massaged my chest. He breathed air into my mouth and nose. My chest rose, fell with a raspy whine, stayed fallen. Years later, Dr. Noakes would tell my brother Davy that my delivery still disturbed his sleep. He'd never seen a child with such swampy lungs. When Dad skidded into the room, Dr. Noakes was sitting on the side of the bed holding my mother's hand. She was wailing. I pictured her as an old woman here, which is funny since I was never to see her as one. And old Noakes was attempting to ease her grief. It was unavoidable, he was saying. Nothing could be done. Perhaps it was for the best. I was lying uncovered on a metal table across the room. Dad lifted me gently. I was very clean from all that rubbing, and I was gray and beginning to cool. A little clay boy um, is what I was. Is that uh, reminiscent, perhaps, of, of Genesis? I know that's what you were thinking. So, um, a little clay boy um, is what I was. Breathe, Dad said. I lay in his arms. Dr. Noakes said, Jeremiah, it has been 12 minutes. Breathe. The picture I see is of Dad, brown hair, short and wild, giving this order as if he expected nothing but obedience. Dr. Noakes approached him. Jeremiah, there would be brain damage now. His lungs can't fill. Dad leaned down, laid me back on the table, took off his jacket and wrapped me in it, a black canvas jacket with a quilted lining. I have it still. He left my face uncovered. Sometimes, said Dr. Noakes, there is something unworkable in one of the organs, a ventricle that won't pump correctly, a liver that poisons the blood. Dr. Noakes was a kindly and reasonable man. Lungs that can't expand to take in air. In these cases, said Dr. Noakes, we must trust in the Almighty to do what is best. At which Dad stepped across and smote Dr. Noakes with the right hand so that the doctor went down and lay on his side with his pupils unfocused. As mother cried out, Dad turned back to me. A clay child wrapped in a canvas coat and said in a normal voice, Reuben Land, in the name of the living God, I am telling you to breathe. The truth is, I didn't think much on this until a dozen years later, beyond, of course, savoring the fact that I'd begun life in a dangerous and thus romantic manner. When you are seven years old, there's nothing as lovely and tragic as telling your friends you were just about dead once. It made death my hero, as you might expect. One of uh, my forgiveness for anything that he might do forever. But until later events, it didn't occur to me to wonder just why I was allowed, after all, to breathe and keep breathing. The answer, it seems to me now, lies in the miracles. 
just a minute more here. Let me say something about that word miracle. For too long it's been used to characterize things or events that, though pleasant, are entirely normal. Peeping, chick, uh, peeping chicks at Easter time, spring generally, a clear sunrise after an overcast week, a miracle, people say, as if they've been educated from greeting cards. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, but nope. Such things are worth our notice every day of the week, but to call them miracles evaporates the strength of the word. Real miracles bother people. Like strange sudden pains unknown in medical literature, it's true. They rebut every rule all we good citizens take comfort in. Lazarus obeying orders and climbing, climbing up out of the grave. Now there's a miracle. And you can bet it upset a lot of folks who were standing around at the time. When a person dies, the earth is generally unwilling to cough him back up. A miracle contradicts the will um, of the earth. Kind of a, an interesting thing. A miracle contradicts um, the, the, the will of the earth. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. You know, the, will, the will of the earth, of course, uh, I mean, really is, is, is death. Um, everything. You know, not just you and me, but grass and trees and flowers and, and animals and, and, and you name it. The you know, earth, is, earth is certainly um, beautiful and, and, and wonderful and at times can certainly and does. You know, draws to God as part of creation. But yet the reality, the, the earth as it is now um, is, is groaning as Paul writes to the Romans. It's, it's flawed. It's, it's broken. This world is, is not all there is. We're, we're looking for, we're longing for when God will come uh, and redeem all of his creation, you and me, yes, but also the entirety of all of his creation, setting everything right um, once again. The earth is in many ways beautiful, and also, uh, as you've heard before, it's also red uh, in tooth and claw as well, and, and ultimately the will of the earth is, uh, is death, and, and thankfully, God has stepped into that. But, but, let, but let me finish here. My sister Swede, who often sees the nub, offered this, People fear miracles because they fear being changed, though ignoring them will change you also. Swede said another thing too, and it rang in me like a bell. No miracle happens without a witness. Someone to declare, here's what I saw, here's how it went, make of it what you will. Um, and so that's, uh, that's, that's at the very beginning here with this, you know, with this miracle. Straight um, out of Genesis, God um, taking... Um, the clay, um, the, the dust of the earth, taking the clay, breathing his, uh, in, in Hebrew the word is ruach, um, his, his breath, his wind, um, his life-giving spirit. And so we see from the very beginning, um, Jeremiah comes into the world and kind of as, as discovery happens for him, as, as discovery happens for all of us, you know, sort of along, uh, along the way, sort of we, we, we look um, we look for meaning, we look for understanding, and, and quite frankly, you know, it often comes as a surprise to us. Um, and, and he sort of, it, it takes him a long while to begin to understand. He, he is a little boy. We'll, we'll give him some credit here. But one of the things that he, that he comes to see is that one of the things that he's been called to do is, and it's kind of a, a basic uh, Christian call, um, sharing what he's seen. Uh, so he, here's what I saw. Here's how it went. Make of it what you will. It's just kind of like, look, here's, here's, here's what God did. Um, I, I can't make you believe in him. I can't make you um, believe, uh, believe in this. But, but, but here's, here's what I saw. Here's how it went. Um, make of it, make of it what, what you will. And so the family sets out. And, and as I say, various, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm kind of torn here. Um, 
uh, I want to uh, I want to share with this at the same time. I don't, I don't want to spoil too much in case you want to go and you know read the book. Hey, here's how it ends. Um, you know, so um, so anyway, I'm kind of I'm 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 treading here as I as as, as I share this um, as I share this with you, and, and obviously going to share um, share some here, but. Um, Anyway, a certain amount of spoiler, but but hopefully, um, but hopefully not too much. So so here's kind of how one of the things that happens here. In many ways, in the book, um, the the father Jeremiah uh, is is the Christ figure, uh, and he um, uh, accomplishes any number uh, any number of miraculous things um, any number of miraculous things throughout the book. And and one of the great things we see as well is is we see Davy um, ends up. And I will, you know, again, I'll tell you a little bit, but not too much. Uh, Davy ends up, there's these two guys that are just horrifically harassing the, the, the family and, and endangering his sister, Swede. And um, he ends up shooting both of them. Uh, and um, uh, as a result, he, he, ends up, uh, he ends up in jail. Uh, and he, and he, manages, um, he manages to break out of jail. Um, and, he, and he goes on the run. Uh, and, he, and he heads out. And it's, and it's kind of part Wild West adventure. He heads out into the Badlands of North Dakota. Uh, and so the family, um, and this is, you know, again, this is gospel stuff here. So what, what does the family do? Well, he's, he's guilty, but yet he's, he's guilty, and yet he's also loved. Um, and, it, and the family goes, and they, and they, and they, they chase after him. Um, they, they, they seek him. They go, um, they go in search of him. That... Uh, Amazing message of the gospel. You and I don't deserve being pursued, and yet God pursues us. You know, we, we rebel, um, we, we, we don't listen, we, we run off, um, and we hide. Uh, and yet, again, I mean, there's, you know, here's, here's what I saw, here's how it went, uh, make of it what you will. It's kind of like in our own lives. You know what? Um, I once was lost, but, but now I'm found. Make of, it, make of it what you will. I didn't deserve to be pursued, uh, and yet God pursued me. So the family goes, and they go um, in, in pursuit, uh, in pursuit of him, and, and I'll make a little mention, but not not too much, because again, that's kind of not too much uh, spoiler. But there's even um, a, a transaction which which happens later in the book to bring uh, to bring healing uh, and to bring uh, and to bring new life to uh, to make someone um, a, a new creation. I mean, what we've just heard about um, this morning um, in our epistle. But uh, I'll share one other story. This one is a little longer. Uh, I'm reading it to you, so forgive me. Bear with me. Um, it's it's very it's very moving and it's very funny as well. One of the one of the things that um, that Davy and uh, that Davy's older Jeremiah and, and Sweet, his sister, have to deal with is is that their dad is just this phenomenally he, uh, as uh, as, Jer- as Jeremiah said. One of the uh, um, uh, ex- excuse me, as um, Reuben says, one of the one of the hardest things is. When his dad walks into the room, he's, he's, he's the best man in the room. But one of the things he, he's decided to do, he was going to medical school. Uh, he was on his way to medical school, bright guy, promising future, got swept up in a tornado. Um, and, and God sort of carried him through that um, safely and, and then later ends up leaving his medical studies and he becomes the school janitor um, at, his, at his son's school. And you can imagine, um, and as Reuben wonderfully shares, you know, Forgive me if you thought more of me, but you know he was just horrifically embarrassed uh, any time his dad walked into the room in his uh, in his in his janitor clothes. So it's again very 
very very Christ-like. The, the, the best man in the room takes, uh, takes the humblest um, position, washes the disciples' feet. You know, the best man in the room takes the, takes the job um, of the least, such as his love and his grace, such as his desire to pursue us and call us to himself. And this um, story uh, involves uh, something which happened there, um, happened there uh, in the lunchroom one day. And this will be the final thing I've, uh, I shared uh, this morning. All right, so um, good advice is a wise man's friend, of course, but sometimes it just flies on past and all you can do is wave because the next day, speaking of ordeals, Dad went and got fired by his boss, Mr. Holgren, with half the school looking. Honestly, I hate to even tell you this part. Who wants to hear a story that's nothing but misfortune? All the same, there's a detail or two it would be improper to leave out. And anyway... Dad didn't have a whole lot of himself invested in the janitorial field. You don't have to worry about his self-respect is what I'm saying. Though you might light a candle for Mr. Holgren's uh, if you are that sort of person. Mr. Holgren is this, this horrible guy. He's the super, he's the, the big, scary, mean um, superintendent is who Mr. Holgren is. It transpired in the cafeteria of Roofing Elementary. Several classes, mine included, were assembled for the morning milk break. Because of impending Thanksgiving, we, ha- we all had on pilgrim hats cut from stiff black paper. And Mrs. Bushka downtown at the bakery had sent over some gingerbread turkeys bedecked with orange and yellow frosting. You can imagine what a treat these were, especially juxtaposed against our general feelings toward the cafeteria. Even as we sat prying lids off milk bottles, we could hear the persecuted cooks banging around back in the kitchen. Grandmas barking at each other, preparing the daily grotesque. <laughs> I remember Peter Emerson predicting meatloaf for that day's lunch. Peter, looking uncharacteristically solemn because of his pilgrim hat, explaining his logic. The butcher's truck goes to the dump every Thursday. This smells like the dump Fridays. Uh, It was nonetheless a glad-hearted gathering there in the cafeteria, at least until Mr. Holgren came down to make some brooding remarks about Thanksgiving, probably having to do with privation and death. He certainly picked the right career, had Mr. Holgren. His every feature spoke of resentment and annoyance and, to people under five feet tall, a physical danger. His poor face looked always festering with some imminent parasitical hatch. Nothing could quiet a happy crowd of kids like Mr. Holgren's unannounced appearance. He loved superintending. He was made for it. So when he marched in that morning with a determined grin on his face, we froze. Boys and girls... This is a great line. Boys and girls recognize sinister as handily as dogs do. (laughs) Here it was. My best guess now is he'd gotten his head to try relating to us, but when he produced a paper pilgrim's hat from behind his back and put it on his own head, I think we all nearly bolted. I had a nightmare once in which the devil entered my room and opened my closet and started trying on my clothes. Um, This was similar. Mr. Holgren stood there with his mouth grinning and his eyes in some sort of torment and the pilgrim hat. Well, I'd actually thought those handmade hats were pretty neat until the superintendent donned his. Suddenly, they seemed repulsive and I reached up and took mine off. Then Mr. Holgren said his few words, I've forgotten them, doesn't matter. No doubt he thought we were all spellbound and that he was giving Miss Carlin and the other teachers present a fine lesson in captivating school children. What had my attention, though, was something I hadn't noticed before. I'd been so transfixed by Mr. Holgren's strange manner, I hadn't seen the neatly scripted letters near the squared-off top of his hat. 
very small capitals in white chalk, easy to miss, but really quite readable, shoot me. <laughs> they said in letters so smoothly drafted, Miss Carlin herself might have written them. Well, I saw that and wanted to laugh. Not just wanted to, I tell you, that laugh was down in my stomach like bad beef. It meant to come out. Desperately, I strove for placid thoughts, which meant, of course, not looking at Mr. Holgren's hat, not thinking those words, and yet they called like a summons, like a hissed invitation, shoot me, calling to the laugh inside my belly, you want torture? A giggle crept up, the old esophagus, I swallowed it down, my eyeballs watered, the worst of it was I seemed to be the only kid who'd noticed, either that or everyone else had iron control, a terrible thought, I looked around, Glazed faces everywhere. No one else had seen. Oh, but that moment was a lonesome place. Mr. Holgren talked on. I molared the inside of my cheek. The laugh stayed, but I felt it down there. Accruing strength. Goodness, it made me nervous. I chanced to look at Mr. Holgren. Shoot me. Plain as day. I swallowed about 12 times. Then Peter Emerson leaned over to my ear. Bang, he whispered. <laughs> I knew defeat. Through mouth plastered hands, the laugh ripped forth. Hoo ha 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 A ruddy bray that condemned me to the stares of aghast pilgrims. And who knew what violent repercussions at the hands of Mr. Holgren? I laughed so hard my sight went dark. I laid my forehead down on the table to sob. Did anyone laugh with me? Who knows? I do remember it felt solitary as the wave rolled off, and I remember looking up through tears to see the glaring superintendent, death in a hat, shoot me, still red upon his mighty crown, and I remember wishing I could arrange to be shot at that moment and have it done with. And he goes on to say that, um, so Holgren comes after him. He's, 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 he's coming after him. Um, violently, and as he is coming after him, um, his thigh strikes the corner um, of the table, and as his thigh strikes the corner of the table, all the milk bottles go um, all over the place. They fall, glass um, fall, um, crashing to the floor uh, as uh, as he as he comes as he comes after uh, as he comes after Reuben, and then as what happened, Dad appeared and. St- Dad appeared. Instinctively, I feared for him, for a curse seemed hovering in that room. And I'll admit I feared for myself as well. I owned a bit of rotten pride in those days that recoiled at the sight of Dad in coveralls. It didn't seem fair, you understand. I knew Dad was the smartest, best-hearted, most capable man in the room he occupied. Knew, too, that he was beloved by God, that whatever he touched was apt to prosper, sometimes in mighty and inexplicable style. To see him, therefore, in janitor's clothes seemed to me the result of a strange and discomforting arithmetic. How could it be that his boss was a man like Mr. Holgren, whom Swede called Chester the Fester on account of his face, a man who treated Dad with feudal contempt, who talked about scouring Dad's teeth? And this bothered me, too. Dad would come into a room pushing his broom, and always some dumb kid would turn to me and smirk. Janitor's kid, mop jockey. Cleaned up any good puke lately? I'm sorry if you thought better of me, but the fact is I spent whole hours imagining alarming alarming humiliations for those kids, big dumb kids, always with effortless all-star longs. Oh, yes, 
An hour spent thus were not bitter, but passed like joyous dreams in which Bethany Orchard, that was the girl he liked, in which Bethany Orchard always chanced along to see the dumb kids at their most abject. It's true. No grudge ever had a better nurse. And so here's, here's what happens. His dad, um, his dad comes into the room, surveys the situation, goes uh, and gets the mop bucket uh, and cleans up, uh, cleans up, starts sweeping um, the glass and, and, and cleaning everything up. And, and then this is what happened. As dad knelt for broken glass, Holgren stepped up next to him so that dad was working around his knees. He looked slave-like down there, bending for bits of bottle. As Holgren stood, hands on hips, dissatisfied as Legree. I could barely watch. And so he goes on to make accusations um, uh, against his father for, for drunkenness, um, for, for being a drunk, uh, which was the furthest thing, uh, which was the furthest thing um, from the truth, and ends up, uh, ends up firing him uh, in front of everyone. Now, and here we'll conclude here in just a sec. Miss Carlin began quietly rallying us children to leave in spite of the fine example being set by the administrator. Miss Carlin's slender face was a displeased red for which I've ever after given her the devotion of an ally. As we clattered up our trays, I heard Holgren demand Dad's explanation. I saw Dad lean down and voice a soft reply. At this, the superintendent made the most fitful transformation. His neck compressed into his shoulders. His hands clawed and shrunk upward into his sleeves. He stamped his foot like, a ma- like the maladjusted. He was Mr. Hyde. He roared a few words, and Dad became a former janitor. Most boys, I am guessing, have never watched outright as their father was stripped of his livelihood. And I don't want to pound it too hard, but the cruelty of that moment still impresses me. I left my milling classmates and headed for Dad, where he stood in rapt surprise facing Holgren. I hadn't in mind to say anything, and indeed I didn't. For as I approached, Dad lifted his hand, sudden as a wind shift, touched Holgren's face, and pulled away. It was the oddest little slap you ever saw. Holgren quailed back a step, hunching defensively, but Dad turned and walked off. And the superintendent stood with his fingers strangely a wonder over his chin, cheeks, and forehead. Then I saw that his bedeviled complexion, that face set always at a rolling boil, had changed. I saw instead skin of a healthy tan, a hale blush spread over cheekbones that suddenly held definition. Above his eyes, the shine of constant seepage had vanished, and light lay at rest upon his brow. Listen, there are easier things than witnessing a miracle of God. For his part, Mr. Holgren didn't know what to make of it. He looked horrified. The new piece in his hide didn't sink deep. Uh, He covered his face from view and slunk from the cafeteria. I knew what had happened, though. I knew exactly what to make of it, and it made me mad enough to spit. What business had Dad in healing that man? What right had Holgren to cross paths with the great God Almighty? The injustice took my breath away. Truly it did. I felt a great hand close against my lungs, and Miss Carlin escorted me gasping to the nurse's office, where Miss Beulah plugged in her teapot and made a steam tent uh, from a bolt uh, of canvas. So, one of the things the you know the book has obviously uh, miracles uh, miracles in it a certain amount of of, of suspended. Um, disbelief, but uh, I, I share that with you, uh, that little, and as I say, there, there are others, but uh, it's good. There's plenty for you all still to discover, but the, go- the gospel there, there's Holgren. Uh, the last thing he deserves is any kindness. Uh, the last thing he deserves is, is any grace. The last thing he deserves um, is, is any healing, 
uh, and yet um, he receives this this undeserved, uh, unmerited, uh, unmerited gift. Uh, the gospel here um, played out in fiction. Uh, you and me were, were people that, that don't deserve the healing and the mercy and, and the grace of God given to you and to me, and yet, um, yet it is something um, which is given to us um, freely uh, and uh, amazingly um, by God. So the good news there. Um, peace like a river. I'm, you know, I'm often not on time, but I'm really not on time right now. Let me pray and uh, we'll go. Sorry. That's right. Uh, have mercy, O oh Lord. Um, uh, upon us, extend your grace to us and, and hold us fast to you in faith today and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.